Welcome, everyone, to this special episode of Bible Study, Parody and Subversion in Matthew's Gospel. And in this episode, I'm going to revisit the passage, the two, two passages, uh, the one about the rich young man, and also the one before it about the people bringing their children to Jesus to be blessed by him, or specifically the text says, so that he might lay his hands on them and pray. So in the original episode on this, which is episode 50, it's a regular episode 50, I did put these two passages together, um, but I didn't make the link that I have found since then. So uh, there are going to be two new pieces, well, one new piece of research that I've done that links these two passages. And then I'm going to talk about something else that um, I had already had researched earlier, but I just, I just did not connect it to this passage. I connected it to an earlier passage in Matthew and didn't realize um, it functioned also in this one. So the first thing is, well, let's go and uh, read those passages uh, real quickly here. So it's in Matthew 19. And I'm going to read from the NRSV. Uh, Jesus blesses the children, and then we have the rich young man. So let's start with Matthew 19, 13. The children were being brought to him in order that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples spoke sternly to those who brought them, but Jesus said, Let the children come to me, do not stop them, for it is to such as these that the kingdom of heaven belongs. And he laid his hands on them and went on his way. Then someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. Also you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, I have kept all of these. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you wish to be perfect... Go sell your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this word, he went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich man, or for a rich person, that's what the NRSV says, but it's a rich man, to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich. To enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astounded and said, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but for God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, Look, we have left everything and followed you. What will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man is seated on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who were first will be last, and the last will be first." So there is a lot there, and I'm not going to review everything. I encourage you to go back to episode 50 to review it. But there's a couple of things 
that I have, one thing that I've found out, uh, I, I reviewed some of the material that I had researched before and one of the, one of my main sources and just hadn't noticed this, didn't pick up on it the first time I read through the book. And then something else, just another connection that I made as well. So the first thing is from the book, For I Was Hungry and You Gave Me Food, Pragmatics of Food Access in the Gospel of Matthew. This is by Carol B. Wilson. So she did a study on basically the role of food and accessing food and consequently poverty and all the dynamics around it in the Gospel of Matthew. Just how it all works in the Gospel of Matthew. It's a great book. Uh, if you want to buy a book about Matthew, this is one of the ones I would encourage you to buy. One thing she brings out is that there was something called an alimenta. Now, I had mentioned earlier in the earlier episodes, also informed by other parts of uh, Wilson's book, that wealthy people, especially rulers, especially emperors, would do food giveaways. Uh, this was a way that they uh, gained honor for themselves, and it was a strategy to stay in power, get you know, have the people on your side. Um, if you know anything about Roman history during this period, uh, sometimes uh, Roman emperors did not last that long. Uh, there were always power struggles. If you could get the people on your side, that was always a good thing. So the, the there were famous food giveaways in Rome, and the Alimenta was specifically a Roman food giveaway in Rome by the emperor. There's even so I, I had not heard of this uh, term uh, before reading this book. I asked someone else about it, and they were aware of it. So it's obviously a well-known thing. In fact, there's a Wikipedia entrance, uh, a Wikipedia article on it. The Wikipedia article on Alimenta says the Alimenta was a Roman welfare program and it was initiated by the Emperor Nerva and expanded by Trajan. Uh, it helped orphans and poor children throughout Italy. So what Wilson added to all this, to, to my knowledge, our, our knowledge on this, is that there are Roman coins uh, minted uh, to commemorate the Alimenta, the, the, this food giveaway by the emperor, by the Roman emperor, and they show the emperor blessing children. People are bringing their children to him to bless them, just as they do in Matthew when they bring the children to Jesus to bless them. And while Jesus doesn't feed them right there, in the larger narrative of Matthew, Jesus feeds and heals people. That's a big part of the gospel narrative. And then what's interesting is in the very next passage, there is a rich man. Uh, in Luke, it's the rich young ruler, right? But uh, in this, in, in Matthew, it's just known as a rich man. And a lot of rich people were part of the ruling class, so could have been a political ruler as well. But Matthew just recognizes this person as a rich man. But he comes saying, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the eternal life part I talked about in the previous episode, there's a whole history of eternal life or the resurrection 
in Israelite literature that is really about um, or that has strong connotations of liberation. And I made a big point in that episode that this man really has good intentions. Um, he really does want to be part of the movement for liberation that Jesus is leading. And not, not everybody, not all commentators see it that way. Some people think he's um, coming and uh, one group of commentators actually thinks think that he's challenging Jesus. This is a an honor challenge. I don't, I mean, there could be something to that, but I think he's actually coming, seeking to be a part of the movement. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gone away sad, you know, but he goes away sad because he had many possessions. He was rich. And he really wants to be part. He wants to know the one. It's just that he doesn't really get it. You know, he wants to know the one good thing he must do. And even before I had made this connection in that episode 50, I suggested that he's thinking he can write a check, you know, not that they had checks back then, but, you know, the ancient equivalent. He could do a fundraiser. He could do something, you know, he could use his wealthy resources to benefit the movement. That that That's kind of how he's thinking, because that's how people of means think, you know, and I'm including a lot of us who, you know, are better off than most people in the world. That's the way we think. That's the way a lot of our nonprofits think. You know, how to attach ourselves to wealthy donors and, you know, that's the way of the world, right? That's the way he thinks. Let's not be too hard on him because a lot of us think that way too. So he wants to know what one good thing he do, he, he might do. So Carol Wilson suggests he is thinking like an Alimenta, that he might set up a, a food giveaway, an Alimenta program like the emperors do. That's the link that Matthew is making by putting these two passages together. And what is interesting is that uh, the Alimenta, she even mentions here that she calls them schemes, Alimenta schemes, but the motive behind the schemes, I'm reading from her book right here, the motive behind the schemes was sometimes to bring immortal life to the donor in the sense of perpetual public honor for him or her. So the man asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That was often the motive behind an Alimenta scheme. So there you have the connection. You have the picture of Jesus blessing the children, just like on the coins that commemorated the Alimenta. And then the man comes saying, what good, one good thing must I do? He's probably thinking an Alimenta scheme. He won't good, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus questions all that and basically says, uh, there isn't really one good thing. He ends up telling the guy, you know, give everything away. Give all your money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. So treasure in heaven, that is the second part of what I want to talk about. If you recall in one of the earlier episodes, episode 12, I believe, if I'm looking at it right, uh, in episode 12, we had that phrase, treasure in heaven. Do not store up riches here on earth, but store up treasure in heaven. Uh, and now, of course, many of us tend to think that that's sort of a metaphor. So that, you know, yeah, don't focus on wealth here, but focus on spiritual things. And that's treasure in heaven. That's the way we tend to think about it. But as, if you recall... 
what we found is that the term store up treasure in heaven actually had something more specific it was referring to, that to store up treasure in heaven meant to give your possessions, your money, your wealth to those who need it, whether it was just, you know, giving to a neighbor or a family member or just anyone in need. Uh, but it was giving to them, not just as charity, but with the idea that in your time of need, they would give back to you. So you were storing up treasure in heaven. So th- there are uh, several, back in that episode, I, I cited several places where we find this. One is Tobit 4, 6 to 11. That reads, And for all those who practice justice, give to the poor from your possessions, and do not let your eye begrudge the gift when you do it. When doing acts of mercy, do not turn your face away from anyone who is poor, and the face of God will not be turned away from you. If you have many possessions, make your gift from them in proportion. If you do not be afraid to give according to the little you have, so you will be laying up a good treasure for yourself against the day of distress. For giving to the poor delivers from death and keeps you from going into the darkness. Indeed, giving to the poor for all who practice it is an excellent offering in the presence of the Most High. You can hear that there, laying up treasure in heaven. Um, Sirach 29, 8-13 reads, Nevertheless, be patient with someone in humble, humble circumstances and do not keep him waiting for your act of mercy. Help the poor for the commandment's sake, and in their need do not send them away empty-handed. Lose your silver for the sake of a brother or a friend, and do not let it rust under a stone and be lost. Remember, that's what Jesus says. Do not store up treasures here on earth where rust destroys, you know. And then going on in Sirach uh, 29, verse 11, lay up treasure according to the commandments of the Most High, so it will profit you more than gold. Store up acts of mercy, store up acts of mercy in your treasury, and it will rescue you from every disaster. Better than a stout shield and a sturdy spear, it will fight for you against the enemy. And then there's a later rabbinic source that reads, My ancestors stored up treasures for this lower world, but I, through giving to the poor, have stored up treasures for the heavenly world above. There could be no stronger parallel than what Jesus says in Matthew 6, where he says, store up treasures in heaven. And this clearly says it's through giving to the poor. So that's what storing up treasure in heaven meant. So when he says to him, give your money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. This is what he's referring to. And he's not just saying, give it away and then you'll have nothing. But the treasure in heaven means that in your people will take care of you. He says, then come follow me. And then when we get to the end of the passage, and Peter says, well, we've all, we've left everything. You know, they've done what the rich man could not do. Jesus says, yes, and you will receive many brothers and sisters and fields and houses because in the new society, we share all things in common. You'll receive a whole new family. That's what it means to store up treasure in heaven. It's not just metaphorical or spiritual or for the age to come uh, or for, you know, for the, the afterlife or resurrected world, but in this age, as we set up the new society, we take care of each other. 
And by the way, this is also, although the early Jesus movement did have to, you know, create their own, their own, you know, uh, sub-society and practice mutual aid, and that's one step. This wasn't completely, this wasn't like a, uh, an isolationist, you know, they, they weren't, this wasn't about withdrawing from society to have, to necessarily have, you know, a, a colony where people own all things in common. That may sometimes, you know, that's what sometimes people have had to do in Anabaptist history that has happened because of persecution. But that's not necessarily what Jesus is talking about. Because remember, initially he tells the man just to follow the law. Because the law, if he had followed it, had provisions for redistribution of wealth. The commonwealth of Israel was supposed to be like this. According to Deuteronomy, they were supposed to have no poor among them because they were supposed to be sharing their wealth. There's supposed to be periods of regular redistribution and their disposition toward anyone who was in need was to be open-handed. That's what the Torah said. That's what the law said. So this is not about merely creating a, a separate society. Yes, it is an alternative society. It may have to go through that phase of being separate. But Jesus is fully talking about transforming the current society. And, and it's rooted in the traditions of the Torah and the prophets. It's deeply rooted in the ancient Israelite traditions. He is being a good Jew. You know, he is being, uh, he's, he's one of his people. This is not rejection of Israel. This is not rejection of Torah. This is Israelite revivalism. That is the new society, God's new society, and that will then expand to include all the nations, which the prophets talked about. All right, so I hope that makes sense. Uh, those are the two things I wanted to mention. Thanks again for listening to this special episode of Bible Study, Parody and Subversion in Matthew's Gospel.